You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. I've kept really quiet, but I'll tell you something. He went down in my estimation when he said that. I don't believe personal insults help it. And Jack Charlton is quite right to be indignant about that, and the gentleman in the yellow hat really exists nowhere in the firmament of international football. The ten-man board of the FBI, the clowns, are now going to put the names in a hat. They're going to pick people who they've read about in newspapers. Give it a blam and flash it into the net. What a goal that was. Um, of course, Celtic. I agree with you. Ronnie just wants to say the word Schweinsteiger. Bastian Schweinsteiger. Hello and welcome to the Balls.E football show. We are coming to you live from Balls.E headquarters every Monday as we usually do. My name is Mark Farley. As always, I'm joined by Sean Meehan. Sean, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Uh, this week, Gary Connaughton is away on holidays. He's in uh, Italy or France or Spain or one of them places. So uh, Mick McCarthy's in in his stead. Mick, say hello, hello to the people. I'm delighted to be making my football show debut. Your debut? Yeah. Jesus, you talk I've about football on, so much, I've I presume been, that you've been on. Yeah. I've been on every other shagging podcast <laughs> yes, you have, but to say. I'm finally allowed on the football one. Well, delighted to have you along today, Mick. Um, thank you to everybody who is listening. If you've not subscribed yet, you can do so by searching Balls.e podcast on all good podcast channels. Or if you just want to listen to our soccer-only content, you can search football on Balls.e and subscribe there. But subscribe to the main one. We've got loads of different podcasts, including, as Mick says, you know, we have so many different shows, Mick's on all of them. We've got uh, World and Union every Tuesday, our rugby show. We've got the build-up on Boss.e, which comes out on a Wednesday where we get you ready for the sporting weekend. And you'll have Kevin Doyle previewing the Premier League this week, as always. Um, it's a busy week, actually, with midweek fixtures as well. But today, specifically, we're going to have our usual um, our, our usual setup. We've got our hot takes. Mick's going to be mix a man who... Uh, we will all know, and anyone who's listened to any other podcast is fond of a hot take, so uh, I'm interested to see what you have to say. I've there. got very little this weekend. I was thinking that yesterday. I was like, geez, every Monday I come in here and I'm shouting at Gary, Gary, make sure you bring this up in the podcast now because that really annoyed me at the weekend. And I just didn't really have too many of them this week, but sure, we'll go through one or two anyway. Uh, Sean, in, in Gary's absence, you were in charge of analysing how all the Irish players get on across the water at the weekend. It's a big undertaking. It sounds easy, but geez, when you're going through all these player ratings from like the Stoke Centennial or whatever it I is. I do not. I do not envy Gary Connaughton in any way, shape, or form. It was a, uh, it was well, not excruciating because you know it, it opened my eyes to uh, to all the world, to all the local papers in uh, in England. So it's pretty good. The uh, the the Berkshire Observer, you know, all these all these different great papers, great yeah. publications. Uh, we'll Who have do they our- cover? Uh, they cover Reading. Right, yeah, of course they do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an avid subscriber. Um, uh, we'll also have our David Louise Scoundrel of the Week, as always. And this week's big debate we're going to talk about in in lieu of uh, Akechi Inachu's goal, which was incredible and also so obvious was going to happen. Um, we're going to talk about our favourite last-minute goals, which I think we decided off-air had to be in the 89th, as in 89 to 90 minute at the very least, or injury time. So it's not really last minute. So in the ninetieth minute or injury yeah, time, then yeah, at okay. the death gold. Yeah, in the ninetieth yeah. minute, eighteen minutes on the clock. Um, Do you so think Marco Silva had his uh, had his his deadpan? I'm devastated, but I'm not going to show it. Stands ready to go for the entire the whole of injury it was, time. It was like that, yeah. And the injury he was time standing very on his own, wasn't he? And due to someone, and no doubt we'll talk about them later on in the show. Uh, Scoundrel like behaviour for some of the Everton players. The injury time ended up being longer. There was injury time to injury time. Uh, but before we get into this week's topics, right? I want to just quickly go back to last week because last week we talked about our football manager war stories in lieu of football manager coming out, and we've had so many people get in touch, and um, it's been fantastic. Some of the stories 
misery. They're all just so funny. Uh, so, uh, Sean Kelleher was in on, uh, he emailed the gaffer at balls.e. You can do so too. If you have any opinions or views on the show. Uh, he says, hey lads, I set out in football manager 15 with the goal of winning the World Cup with Ireland. Didn't achieve it, but got to the final in 2018. From the get-go, I took advantage of the granny rule, right? Wait till you see who was in the squad. Alex McCarthy, Kyle Norton, Mark Noble, Nathan Redmond and Jack Grealish were all in the squad from the off. Harry Kane rejected his advances. Had a decent Euros in 2016 with a run to the quarters, but the team really started to catch fire in the World Cup qualifiers. So we got to the World Cup final, but unfortunately lost 3-0 to Argentina. The highlight was Jack Grealish scoring an extra time winner against England in the semis <laughs> with a bicycle kick. He says, Sean says, I woke up the whole house shouting. <laughs> I woke up the whole house shouting is, is, is one of the, like, it's, it's almost a trademarked end to a uh, brilliant football manager story. Completely, yep. yeah. yeah. How did that team get to the, like, other than Grealish, not that many of that, those lads are adding yeah, too I, much I, to the Ireland team. Kyle Norton. Taking advantage of the granny room by getting a right back that's worse than two of the right backs we have at the moment. <laughs> uh, who else was in touch? Brian Farrell, Effenberg, Keane and Totty lining out for a semi-professional Dundalk side and winning the Champions League. Beat that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there should uh, be difficulty levels on Football Manager. Uh, someone, Brendan McGrath, or uh, sorry, Glenn Dunn, who responded to his friend Brendan McGrath with so, uh, some of the stories he said, that he says, yeah, those stories aren't bad, but they didn't win five quadruples with Burton Albion or the League Cup in League One or UEFA Cup in the Championship with Carlisle, did they? Uh, just remarkable achievements, to be fair to you. Uh, uh, Why are Carlin, these people not all employed in uh, football? Exactly. Michael Burke took Rushton Diamonds, the Premier League, from the conference on Championship Manager 1999 and I only ever had 1.5 million pound to spend Russian and Diamonds were loaded in whatever League 2 was back then though so everybody managed them at the start oh, yeah that's yeah. what I was about to say Russian and Diamonds were one of those clubs that every like I, I was a Kidderminster Harriers man so was I, I was, actually yeah, yeah. Like, that was, it was one of those <laughs> clubs that just existed purely for football manager I felt I think they lost like to a Premier League team 1-0 in like an FA Cup third round a hundred years ago and ever since then I think everybody had their non-league team was Kidderminster <laughs> I don't know why I don't even want to know what team they lost it we're going to leave it on this one Richard Evans told the boss somebody in the community died and had to take a day off work sat up all night and all day playing football manager 2010 <laughs> didn't go in the following day saying I took a few too many beers <laughs> 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 but there's so much now I love the way like the beer is a valid excuse yeah it's like, but the football manager's not yeah what a man <laughs> <laughs> thanks to everybody who've given us their football manager stories we literally have a couple of hundred there are far too many to mention uh, I should have mentioned as well if you are listening to the show please do rate and review the podcast you can uh, rate and review us down at the bottom of the Apple podcast feed leave a review tell us what you think of the show but uh, it's time to get on to our hot takes just don't know why for at least three seasons you've been ignoring and enemy Auntie Nemi? Aye, I don't know why he doesn't get a game. <laughs> For Scotland? Aye. He's finished, isn't he? He's not finished. He's only 28. Oh, I always love that. <laughs> He's not finished. <laughs> Mick, you're our guest, so we're going to let you go with your Thank hot you. take first off. So, I was actually watching Aston Villa versus Manchester United while keeping an eye on uh, Everton Leicester yesterday. So, a lot of the, the talk around what was going on with the Leicester manager was a little bit news to me until this morning when I heard an interview by uh, Leicester City manager Brendan Rodgers where it was told, told to me that he was denying uh, uh, the fact that he was going to uh, be leaving Leicester to go to Arsenal. But I listened to the words of the interview and I'm not that sure. <laughs> And also yourself, you have been mentioned in dispatches. 
another club currently looking for a manager. Can you clarify one thing for us? Is there actually a clause in your contract that if a club meets it, you can go? No, that, listen, there probably, there probably is in most managers' contracts, Jeff. Listen, it's all hypothetical, all these types of uh, situations. I think for me at this moment, we've had a brilliant win today. Um, as I said, we came back really, really well. My focus is very much with Leicester and uh, like I said, I made a change eight, nine months ago and I came into here and I've been so happy since I came into here to work with the players and I feel we, we still have a lot of work to do. So, um, so like I said, most managers' contracts will have something in that but, uh, but for me, my only concentration on is Leicester. Second in the table right now, can you achieve your ambitions with Leicester City? Yeah, um, listen, I've been very fortunate in my, my career, Jeff, to, to work with some brilliant clubs and some great institutions and, and coming to here. This was an ambition to come to here to help the club arrive into the, the top six. And uh, and for us, you know, everything's been great since we've worked together. We know there'll be bumps along the way, but but for me, my ambition at this very moment in time is to help this club, you know, have a responsibility uh, to share that with the uh, with the director of football, with Top, with Susan, our chief executive, to try and uh, move the club forward. So, um, and I'm very happy in doing that. And there's great, great potential here at Leicester City in order to, uh, to to push on in the next few years. For now, I am the Leicester City manager, and I am very happy to be the Leicester City manager. Should other other offers come in, of course, we'll all have a look at them. You know, that's the way it is. You know, but for now, I am happy at Leicester City. That is the most non-denial denial I've ever heard in my life. It's a cliche almost how much he wasn't denying it. So my hot take, lads, is that. If he should get the opportunity, he's definitely covering his bases there. He's not going to go to any old Tom, Dick and Harry club. He wants, he will, he has a Champions League team there in Leicester, I would say, to stay with. But should the opportunity arise, he will talk to Arsenal. My hot take is that if he gets a chance, Brendan Rodgers is off to Arsenal. I don't know. I, he, he'd be a madman to do it. Like, I Long wonder, term though, would he? I don't know. I would say, if you said long term, if Claudio Ranieri was offered the Arsenal job the day after they won the Premier League, you'd say, oh, long term, he's probably better off going to Arsenal, getting out there. I don't know, if you're looking at it now a few years on. I'm sure he was sacked by Leicester. Not yeah, too I know, long after, I just mean so. it's in the club's pr- yeah. prospects of the two clubs. Yeah. Like, Arsenal have just continued on a downward trajectory. Leicester, all right, they've, they went down, but they're bouncing back up again. They. The, the one worry is that they'll always potentially be a selling club. Like, if they get into the Champions League now, is Sayonchu and um, the like gone again next season? Yeah, that's the, the worry. Like, I, I, would, I would completely... I would go towards that. I think that Arsenal will always be a bigger club than Leicester, almost no matter what happens. It's funny, I was watching Hazard the other night, and I was thinking, how many Champions Leagues would Chelsea have to win for somebody not to want to go to Real Madrid to leave Chelsea? You know, and it's going to be the same. Arsenal are yeah. always going to be a bigger club than, than Leicester, and therefore they're always going to have more opportunities. Uh, look, I don't know whether he will get the job or not. Like, and and I have to say, we'll talk about scoundrels of the week and stuff in a few minutes. I think it would be a bad. I actually don't think he's there long enough to go now yeah. at this stage. You know, he left Celtic mid-season. You know, when they were on the cusp of something historic, to go and join this team to, to spend less than a season with them over the course of two seasons, I don't think is good enough to be honest. Now, if he has the clause of contract grand, like that's all fine. I just is it a good opportunity for him? I would disagree with you and say that it is. However, I do think that reputation matters a lot when you're a manager. And then if it doesn't go well at Arsenal, he's back down the pecking order again. Whereas if he does two, three years at Leicester, gets him into the Champions League, does a decent job, he's probably got his pick of jobs. So from his point of view, we should stay. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, 
there is a case that, you know, how many times do these opportunities come around? Well, like, Rogers sort of salvages reputation mm. completely at Celtic, and he's continuing to do so at Leicester. If he continues in the same vein, you know, almost, you know, exactly what he did at Celtic and continues, then you're dead right. He's going to have an absolute pick of jobs. And if you have a pick of jobs, you're not picking Arsenal. That's, that's fair. Yeah, that's yeah, a really that's good point. What Jay. I mean is not that it's all right, Arsenal are always a bigger club than Leicester, but they're always the biggest club because also they'll always be a bigger club. Uh, sorry, they will always be a bigger club, but you're always looking at it going, right, well, that's if that's if I could rescue them. Do you mm. know what If we could get a few years in there, bring in players, you know, but that's not how football works anymore. The next manager that comes in for Arsenal, by the time they f- sort out everything and get rid of some of the deadwood, they're going to be sacked and it'll be the following manager that'll come in and maybe rescue Arsenal. You know, it's all incremental. You're seeing that with Man United. That kind of needs to happen nearly. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking at the Leicester to squad at the minute, they can all you need, nearly can do is look at squads because you're going to get... He's probably gone from either job in two years anyway. Uh, you're lo- you, you can't go past that Leicester. They're 11 points or... No, they're more. Are they 12, 13 points ahead of Arsenal already? Oh, at least, yeah. yeah. I think, look, look. I, I'm not saying he should. I think we all agree on what he should do. I'm saying that from that interview, I think he worked very hard not to deny that he's leaving. And again, I'd say maybe he'll make, maybe the hot take can be amended slightly to he'll talk to them and then make a decision yeah. rather than he's going. But I think he's open to it. Yeah, he definitely is. He <laughs> definitely is. So you wouldn't have a, like, like a clause in a contract like that as well. You know, it's yeah. almost like he was, he's, he purposely put that in so that he was like, ah, if no, I'm, if I'm lo- decent, lots of managers would have them though, Sean, you know, lots of managers would have them. <laughs> yeah. Go on, Brendan, you're off again. Sean, your hot take from the weekend. <laughs> uh, on, on, on the current Arsenal manager or interim Arsenal manager or caretaker, as I like to call it, you know, call it, call a spade a spade and call a caretaker manager a caretaker manager. Freddie Youngberg is the sexiest manager in Premier League history. Whoa. See, that's He's a beaut- one, not a very controversial statement to make on the face of it, but I can't remember enough managers to, I can't remember enough handsome managers to argue with you. I think one of the reasons that you can't call him a caretaker actually is because caretaker managers traditionally will have a brown coat, be about 60, frumpy enough hair, and kind of look like Ray Harford or Tony Parks. Tony Parks, yeah. And a Blackburn caretaker legend. So thinking- maybe when you're that sexy, you need a different name. Like That's interim true. manager. Inter- interim kind of works then, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking that maybe Youngberg would come out wearing like a, a Mac and like a, a flat cap and just try <laughs> completely like <laughs> this way from like, I was there, I was trying to like conv- convince myself on the contrary and I just ended up going back to his, his old uh, Calvin Klein pictures. I was like, jeez, he's a, he's a handsome man. Like you can't, you can't deny are there any other contenders for sexiest Premier League managers? Like, so I was reminded of the uh, former QPR manager Paolo Sosa. Um, oh yeah, he he was just a he was a he was a devilishly handsome man. And let's not forget, like now looking at him now, he's a bit you know he's been weathered. Yeah, Mark like, Hughes. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I was actually going with Steve Bruce. Um, well, like, I was going to go with Jose, Jose when he came in. Jose, yeah, yeah, like. Now, like no, the, the amount of the amount yeah. of grannies that loved him, like, and yeah. I think that's always a war suit. Well, he really did, and yeah. he just had the prop. Like, you look at Marco Silva now. Like, Marco Silva could have been that guy, but like, he's just all hair gel, and uh, you know, his promise is gone. Almost yeah. a couple of other uh, recent people, as in Pep Guardiola, obviously, but probably he he peaked as 
when he was Barca manager. Um, Pochettino, Frank Lampard. It's a lot of love for Frank Lampard. See, you can you can even go back to like. I think right now, obviously, like Youngberg's only about forty odd. Like he's, you know, he's still got a bit about him. Andrew Villas Boas. See, like you're thinking, Man like you got to think 30s. relatively youthful. Yeah. Like uh, I'm not even that. Then you can hark back to their playing career. Think about it. Yeah, like Pochettino with the long hair when he was at PSG. Like that was a that was a frighteningly dangerously good looking man. Alan Pardew, Silver Fox. <laughs> You know, he's out maggot the whole time. He knows what he's about. I think if you're thinking about sexy, you can't look past Neil Warnock. <laughs> Neil Warnock might uh, parrot Liam Brady here and say the sexy is a state of mind, Bill. <laughs> I'm going to move on to my hot take very swiftly. <laughs> a hot take, you say? A hot take. A as, hot as, take. As, hot, as hot as Neil. <laughs> as hot as Freddie Youngberg. Watford are a waste of time. There is no Irish person should have any interest in Watford in the Premier League or them staying up or they're just a completely irrelevant club and team at the minute. They, they, they ruin that game. They ruin every game of football by existing. Mm. Although to be fair, the Arsenal game was very entertaining, but that's more to do with Arsenal than it is to do with Watford. But like, who even are they? Their second managers left, right and centre. They do well for a while, then they go back down. They have a shitty grade uh, away kit. They've got, they've got nothing. Like, and then the, the, the team is like Will Hughes. Who the hell is Will Hughes? Oh, why should I give a damn about him? Um, one reason why you should give a damn about Will Hughes and not for Will Hughes but the fact that he once got into a Twitter altercation with do you remember Jake Bug the lad with good yes. hat yeah you remember Jake Bug Jake Bug just cut him down to size completely on Twitter one day when Will Hughes was saying that Jake Bug was overrated and Jake Bug just responded to him and went you play for Derby shut up <laughs> and now he plays for Watford yeah. it's even worse <laughs> Look, I, I'll tell you I'll give you three, four, four or five reasons about so, uh, just on that as well yeah. Will Hughes is only an example there are numerous players that I yeah. just look at the Watford line and go who the, like even people that I know exist for a long or time Pereira yeah, like, who like does well in fancy football for a while until you put him into his team and then he may as yeah. well not be in the Premier League anymore Holibas, there's I don't know yeah. go on Troy Deeney's an interesting enough character but he Never doesn't plays. really play anymore yeah. yeah okay fair enough I, I don't disagree with you a couple of things they uh, are an easy enough uh, place to get tickets if you want to just go to a match in London if you happen to be there for the weekend, Gary did it recently. I think he just went to a nil all draw between Watford and someone else. Sheffield United, it was <laughs> Sheffield United. Yeah, so you got to see, you know you guys as as a go and get to see other interesting teams, not just the team that they're playing against. Uh, that's not a great reason. Like, there's probably another team that could come up and, and offer you that. Fulham you used to offer you that. To something that's entertaining. Watford had one attack in the entire game. <laughs> uh, Elton John. Elton John. This was eyesighted. That yeah, as well. that's yeah. previous incarnation of Elton John. Uh, I'll put it this way I watched two things Saturday evening I watched Pointless and I watched the Southampton Watford game and there was much much superior Elton John content far superior on Pointless than there was I think because you had to do you could name uh, any record on Elton John's greatest hits or any member of cast member of Rocketman that was the Pointless conundrum or whatever they call it the main one so like that content, that's Elton John. I got no Elton John enjoyment out of watching Southampton against Watford. Mm. They also created Ashley Young for Aston Villa, which was great for a few years before he became the current uh, disgrace that he is at Manchester United. But I would actually tend to agree with you. I don't. Uh, Watford are pointless. I agree, but you're taking it and your guys might be tinged with a bit of Irishness. Oh, yeah, sorry. This is just for Irish. Yeah, as in, no. so people might say Southampton are irrelevant, but then we were like, we're like, well, they've got Shane Long and Michael Obafemi and you know, they've got 
bit, you know, like Matt Letizia, they've got history. They're, like, you know, you look at other teams like Brighton, or oh, Brighton are relevant. No, they don't. They've got Aaron Connolly up front, and they've got Shane Duffy, the greatest header of the ball in the world. Like, this is purely just from an Irish but context. This, this could all be about to change, Mark. Chris Hewton is the front runner for the Wofford job. Oh, so all of a sudden, so all of a sudden, then like you're going from no Irish involvement to yeah. they're bleeding managers Irish, so you can't really complain. Plus, so they've got the Ryan the Cassidy in the in the youth, and on FIFA, he turns out to be a very good player. <laughs> so did Tommy Hoban. Is Tommy Hoban still with Watford at the minute? No, is Dominic Foley to- still with Watford? No, he. I think he's still living in Belgium. Um, <laughs> Tommy Hoban moved to Aberdeen, ah. and he's. I think unfortunately still injured. Can I can I give a lukewarm take just to finish this segment because just for my because I won't be here next week. Lionel Messi is the best footballer I've ever seen. That's just so unsaid. We don't argue with that. You saw his goal last night. And if he ends up at Watford, I'll start to watch them. <laughs> he scored in the eighty sixth, eighty seven minute against the Atletico Madrid last night with just uh, mwah. No other player could score that goal. No other player could score that goal. But he was wearing a very Watford esque shirt. Can I just say <laughs> enough Watford? Enough Watford. <laughs> David Luiz, Scoundrel of the Week. Our nominees are in. I've been sent this list. I can now exclusively reveal that we have a quite a, an action-packed list of scoundrels this week for various different reasons. I'm going to turn to you, Sean, first with your first nomination. I'm going to go with the man that has legs for days. It's Alan Sam Maximan. Uh, for he, the headband. The headband. Listen, that headband style is brilliant. I love it. It flows in the wind so well when he just does in every single fullback yeah. with his pace. But against Manchester City, he was running towards a ball that he was like, to be honest, I was going to say he was never going to get, but with the sheer speed of the lad, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up beating Edison to the ball. He didn't get there. Uh, and John Stones just tried to like ease him off, just like get him out of the way so he didn't fall into Edison. So Maximan then proceeded to do what I think was about 70 roly-polies, but stopped <laughs> just short of the touchline. So he was well aware of what he was doing. So he just, it, the ball was taken right at the edge of the box. So he just rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled. And then like kind of kicked himself up in the air a little bit and then rolled again. And then just stopped just short of the touchline just to be like, I'm not, I, I haven't heard the whistle, but I'm about to go off injured now. So. I, I appreciated the wherewithal of it because yeah. he knew he was going to get taken off as well. But waste a few minutes, get the physio on, roll yourself off. Fair play to you, Alan. As a matter of follow-up interest, did he leave the field when he was taken off at the closest uh, entry he point? He did, he did. He oh, was, okay. he was walking around. That, that's, a, that's a mark against him now for this award, I have to say. See, but that's, it, that's just down to the rules. The, if the ref saw the physio was trying to drag him across, <laughs> to the league, he would have went mad. <laughs> uh, Newcastle as a whole Mick you, we were just talking about this before was, the start of the yeah. show uh, I think you want to put them in as a nominee this week I, I, I wouldn't mind just throwing them in for their general madness and scoundrelosity for uh, like I watched them 90 minutes against uh, Villa on Monday night and to say it was an abject performance is an insult to abject it was a disgrace like they didn't come out of their own half they tried do you know what they were good for I would say four and a half minutes after half time where John Joe Shelby is running around like a lunatic, blocking down lads, and 
that, that fella with the headband, whose name I can't pronounce. Sam Maximan. Sam Maximan uh, was running around uh, giving Gilware all kinds of trouble. And then they didn't do anything else for the whole other 85 minutes or 89 minutes of the game, whatever. And just think it to yourself, you're a disgrace to your manager. Your manager's a disgrace to football. Your owner's a disgrace to fans, so on and so forth. And then they go out and draw with Man City and basically give Liverpool the league or... or ruin City's title chances anyway they've done the same all year they went out they lost 5-0 I think to Leicester and then the next week beat Man United yep. they're absolutely like just insane how it is a different team one week from the other and I don't know it, it, I would give that uh, a scoundrel nomination because there's no need to ever John Giles will say why aren't you the same home and away why don't you just go out and play the same every week and do your, an honest job for your manager and I'd have to agree with him uh, Brendan Rodgers obviously gets nominated for his scoundrel uh, like post-match interview. Uh, I want to also give a shout out to the Alison Becker on Twitter at the Alison Becker uh, verified account. 30,000 followers, small enough for Alison Becker, 31,800 I should say. It uh, turns out that uh, this Alison Becker is actually a writer, actor, director, comedian, dog lover, Mensa member, uh, and not afraid to learn um, from Los Angeles, California. She tweeted out, can someone tell me how many matches I'm out for because I wanted to get my nails done this week. Hashtag YNWA, you'll never walk alone. <laughs> She's obviously getting a lot of uh, getting yeah. tagged in a lot of Twitter uh, posts. Obviously, after uh, Alison Becker, Liverpool Alison Becker's red card on Saturday, it's not the funniest I've seen of these kind of mistaken accounts. There was the time when Moisey RVP and I can't remember who the other one was. It might have been Rooney or somebody ended up in a conversation with each other going about. It was driving them nuts. But uh, I'm going to give her a, a nomination this week anyway. I also think that it's time to bring. Uh Martin Keown into this story of course so actually day two last night there was uh, some analysis of Jack Grealish who was fantastic at least in the first half against Manchester United scored a goal and as always the constant conversation this season with Grealish I didn't know it was so important to everybody was when's he getting into the England squad when's he getting into the England squad Martin Keown decided to to drop a little note there that he's a big loss to Ireland by the way, which is Keown, of course, would consider himself a big loss to Ireland. I'm not sure many others would. Um, you know, when he, he didn't, uh, he played for England instead. And it just kind of reopened a few old wounds. Like, I, Aston Villa fan watching Grealish, he's, he's getting to the stage now where I couldn't give a shite to what team he plays for internationally. He's so good with Villa. As long as he stays at that club, I'll be happy enough to watch him. But I didn't need to be reminded of it. So yeah. Some would say, fair play to Martin Keown. In fact, some did and say, look, let's not forget that he's not, he's not always been an English boy who'd love to play for his country. This I wonder particular if country. Martin Keown has, a, he has an affinity to Ireland. Um, he was very close, I think, to playing for Ireland. Or they know he was, yeah. yeah, he Ireland. played GAA. Yeah. I wonder, is, there actually, is that actually a little bit of a grudgery coming out in Martin Keown? As in that everyone's like, oh, he's getting England caught up. And Martin Keown's actually the one still a little bit pissed off that he's not playing with Ireland. Well, Martin Keown picked England over Ireland. Yeah, but that look now he's turned into now he's just a fan. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Martin Keown did. I like, think there was a bit of that actually. Yeah, yeah. Martin Keown did the kind of like the opposite when when Andy Townsend saw Ireland's like brilliant midfield, he was like, oh, I don't want to get involved in that. Martin Keown saw who he'd have to beat out to play centre half for Ireland. He was like, I want no part of that whatsoever. Uh, any other nominees? I've got actually one for me just that I, we mentioned this couple of weeks or um, every couple of weeks nearly about great sounding goals Kevin De Bruyne what a, what a strike that whack of the underside of the crossbar I think it definitely deserves a nomination that was scoundrel like in a good way 
the Norwich City goalkeeper Tim Krul loves to save a penalty as we know um, but one of the reasons he loves to save a penalty is because all the mess that he does before the penalty uh, it was it took it was taken to an insane new level yesterday and what happened was he did save a Bamiyang's penalty VAR a, a, like a, a regular nominee like a, let's just consider them a nominee every week they're in yeah. there we don't have to go into it's it it's called the David Luiz VAR scoundrel of the week <laughs> VAR uh, calls it back for encroachment and then Cruel, who'd already been messing, let's face it. He had pointed, by the way, for Aubameyang's first penalty to where Aubameyang was going to hit it. Aubameyang kicks it exactly there. Cruel says, knew you were going to do that. Dive saves it. And then, like Sean, we were talking about it earlier, his messing for the second penalty, which he didn't save, was unbelievable. Like, he was walking slowly from one post to the other, slapping his boots off of him. <laughs> was, you kind of have to see it, but he did everything. Yeah. Even everything. after the goal went in, he, I thought he was going to get into the middle of the celebration with the Arsenal players. He just seemed to start talking and shouting at the back He ran over to Ozil. Like, yeah, and like, literally, it was very intimidating because he's a good head and a half taller than Ozil. Yeah. And he just has his arm around his neck. He also deserves nomination for uh, coming out for a corner and nearly punching the ball into his own net. It was <laughs> someone headed off. Like, I can't remember who it was, but Cruel was. If that was a big man on the edge of the square, you'd say Jizzy got a great fist on that. Just comes in, punches straight back towards his own. Yeah, goal. there was one of yeah, there was, like Bert Leno did the same thing as well. Like uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know what it was. It was just something about the, like limp wristed goalkeepers in that match. Bart Leno's like brilliant save one from great save, yeah. He made an unbelievable save. But there was one. He just came out for the corner and I was like, ah, easy catch, go and get that. And he just kind of like it was almost like a, a kitten playing with a ball of yarn or something it kind of just went right back up in the air I was like what are you doing hey. catch that can I just say one more thing about that penalty situation before we move on and uh, declare a scoundrel uh, the Norwich players encroached again for the second penalty if that had gone in it would have went to VAR again and look you can give out about VAR you can say it's not interfering you can do what you like eventually you're just the idiot yeah. if you don't keep doing it there was two players in the box again for the second penalty and there's just yeah anyway lads who are we going to give the give the award to Norwich as a whole um, I think probably Rogers. <laughs> I think I think I think Rogers. he got, knows what he's doing second in the league another win like, and he's going to feck off he's hardly going to he's Dear God, don't. But that interview, the fact that he's left it open the air is scoundrel-like behaviour. So I'm declaring Brendan Rogers a scoundrel. He's our David Louise scoundrel of the week. Of course, of course, you're going to give it to a lad that's going to move to Arsenal. He's, he's there already. Eric Cantor should be thrown out of the game. I care not one jot about his supreme talent. Irish player roundup time, Sean. Uh, it was a busy weekend. There were a lot of uh, a lot of games on, as usual, but uh, a lot of Irish involvement as well. Uh, none more so that I mentioned that Southampton Watford game a little bit earlier on. You had Michael Obafemi and Shane Long playing in that. Both, um, I think, Long had a very strange game in that he completely. Southampton completely changed, transformed once he came on. He was causing havoc, but at the same point, he missed two guilt-edged chances. And they did both come with it behind him on his left foot, but he didn't manage to get find himself a goal, but was also kind of very integral to them making that comeback. Yeah, it should have been. It should have been like wrapped up fairly, fairly comfortably if Long could finish. Uh, but he basically did what Obafemi was trying to do, just a hell of a lot better with a lot more nous and experience. And was a catalyst for that game to change. Um, I think the highlight of the weekend for for Ireland again, as as it is, we seem to say it every single weekend. Is Matt Doherty? Matt Doherty yeah. scored midweek, plays on plays on Sunday, scores the equaliser against uh, Ireland wearing red and white. 
in Sheffield United. Don't forget to Stevens not make Daniel this weekend. He didn't, but he like it's one of those things. Like looking back at all of his stats and like the analytics of it, like he's just everywhere all the time. Mm. I don't know what it is about like left-sided uh, Irish players now because James McLean was another one. Like uh, Stoke lost for the first time under uh, Michael O'Neill, but again he was just everywhere. You know, Michael O'Neill, the re- the renaissance of of. Uh, of James McLean, McLean yeah. under under another O'Neill, like it's just happening again. A manager who believes in them, maybe exactly. Yeah. Um, By the way, the Sheffield United uh, Wolves game, twenty five players played in that game. Sheffield United brought on three subs. Wolves brought on none. Five of them were Irish. The Premier League game is kind of incredible. We're we're sweet. Look, we're, we're we're back. We're back. Yeah, we're back. Whenever Sheffield United are playing, we are. Yeah, <laughs> you find us that like that when the forward lads play. Yeah, um, it looks it looks like uh, Callum Robinson's sort of going to have to be. Resigned to a bench role because Lise Mousset scored again for Sheffield United. But you can accept that. You know, David yeah. McGoldrick is still there and he's still an absolute glue, a glue man. Um, in terms of in terms of everyone else, Seamus Coleman wasn't even in the squad for Everton no. uh, at the weekend. Jeff Hendrick and Robbie Brady started for Burnley, but they unfortunately lost 2-0. And it was a suspension that got Brady, that got Brady in. in, in yeah. uh, Brady, he seemed to have a, d- a decent first half, but then Patrick Van Anhalt kind of got a grasp on him and he couldn't do much. Jeff Hendrick was cited for playing everything a bit too safe, even when they were down 2-0. Um, another a strange one that I only, I only realised was Blackburn Rovers, actually. Their captain was Darrell Lennon, and he was a man-on-a-match performer for them at the weekend as they beat Stoke City. Uh, Scott Hogan actually got, got a run out for Stoke came off the bench Blackburn beat them with the death didn't they they still came back to draw one all and then yeah, yeah Corey Evans scored an OG for, for Stoke and uh, they came back so that was quite surprising that the two best performers that day were two Irish lads uh, in McLean for, for Stoke and, and Lenehan for Blackburn Rovers uh, Jason Knight came on for, for Derby didn't do much Cyrus Christie came on didn't do much full title please the team formerly known as Frank Lampard's Derby County Derby County Yes. Oh, well, Philip Cocker's Derby Philip County. Cocker's oh, Derby. And Wayne no Rooney's. Philip Cocker's Derby County. Well, they call him Wayne Rooney's Derby County. Yeah, maybe. Oh, I can't wait for that to happen. Um, but as going back to left-sided Irish players doing bits, Roy Manning again just... He was he was, he was was another all-action performer in, a, in the same vein. He must be looking at Edna Stevens and being like, that, that's the man I want to be. Mm. You know, a League of Ireland product. That's exactly the man that I want to be. Uh, but... I hasten to mention another team with a huge contingent of Irish players is Millwall and Sean Williams scored an absolute worldie for oh, them at the weekend. Great. Like it was brilliant. I saw I, looking at the goal and the first comment underneath the tweet was are Millwall playing with a Jabalani ball? Because the thing <laughs> seemed to just swing <laughs> into the top corner. It, was, it, looked like, it looked like he was playing with a cup champion. Yeah. Like he just, he laced it and he went straight into the top corner. Uh, he's playing in the centre centre of the park for Millwall with Jason Malumbi, yeah. the under-21s captain. Uh, Aidan O'Brien came on and a man who loves a goal against Oh Man is their captain, Alex Pierce. <laughs> and they played well. Williams is an interesting enough guy. I was thinking about him recently actually because I saw that he's playing with Malumbi and that like, there's some of these guys, like he had his few caps at Ireland or whatever, but he's just been this brilliant servant to, to Millwall and, and, like, and played for years and topish level you know second level English football that had a great career that isn't really going to affect the international team all that much but like has just done himself 
really, really like he's just got everything out of his yeah. talent. Like I, lo- I love players like that as well. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. not always about what they can do for Stephen Kenny's team in two years. Yeah, like, it's you know? it's it's a strange one for Williams as well because he ended he, like he was he finally found his kind of feet at Sporting Fingal. You know, one. I think it was the young player of the year and then went over to England but he was like he was a nomad in the League of Ireland yeah before find, eventually finding his feet and then ended up being an international like brilliant story and he's yeah. the fact that he's still going now you know he's the wrong side of 30 but he's still playing and still performing yeah. everybody seemed to think that Malumbi was going to come in take off his role but they've ended up just playing together anybody else? Um, there's nobody really like Jake Carroll scored for Motherwell uh, Podge Almond actually Podge Almond as it's, always it's, uh, it's FA Cup weekend so you know what that <laughs> means uh, Podge Almond scored again for Newport in the FA Cup as they beat Malden and Tiptree and he scored Jesus. in the last minute he scored in the last minute but they just you know I think every time you know December and then January comes around you just you're expecting Newport on the telly you're expecting Podge to score the good yeah. times to roll. And Paddy Madden to come up from somewhere. Exactly. Well. Paddy Madden did come up <laughs> and score for Fleetwood. He scored the winner as well. It's just I didn't to get know that. I didn't know that. Uh, it's interesting, though, before we get off, our the Hasselhout and calling out, uh, it's easy for me to say Hasselhout, uh, calling out Femi's professionalism. Yeah. Like, he, he was very pointed. Like, you know, he was trying not, I'm not having a go at him, but I want them to hear what, he, what we're saying yeah, here. Yeah, he kind like, of threw it at the end. And I, I, I thought it was like he needs to learn, you know, be a bit more professional or whatever. I thought it was more like, as in, adjust to the professional game or do you know do you, like mature a little bit as mm. in that, that was that but then his response of like he knows what I'm talking about and I know what he talks yeah, about yeah you don't need to know you don't need to know yeah. was very I think it's something off the pitch and it could be training like it might not be yeah. lifestyle it could be the fact that there's a reason he's always injured and he might not be doing the things that is you know the, the staff yeah. are telling him to do but we don't know but I think that's a like hopefully the fact that he's on the team means that he's not doing anything out of order you know yeah. what I mean it's, yeah it's, he wouldn't be anywhere near a starting 11 no, if he was in like, the Premier League no yeah. at his age like you know so but it, it just it, maybe it's just like he's getting a kick up the hole and that might not be the worst thing big debate time and today we're talking about last minute goals in uh, light of Ian Acho's spectacular winning goal for Leicester which was I think made all the more some of those that far made all the more dramatic by the fact that there was the possibility that they weren't going to give it and then there was the mayhem after it went in we thought well Sean you thought specifically uh, that we should go through our favourite ever last minute goals and the, 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 the goals at the death that really captured our imagination and when you look back through them there are so many and so many of them are actually in the last three or four years it's incredible yeah, yeah, like I one the one thing that kind of struck me most about the Ihanacho one was just was just how much I expected it to happen. Like I don't know what it was. It, it was almost like a feeling of like watching United and like oh, you know they're gonna bleed and score. So what's the point of me even watching this? Uh, but then when it did happen, like you just completely forget about it and it's all like it's all limbs. Even though I'm sitting in my bed watching it, it's just it's all limbs. Um, <laughs> so I was trying to I was looking back and I was I was thinking about I was thinking about um, last minute winners and like one that I think we mentioned and completely forgot was do you remember John O'Shea's equaliser against Germany do you remember that yes the qualifiers for Euro 2016 how could we forget what scored it with the, with the full it was in it was in injury time was it yeah yeah 
it was right. one of the lads uh, the worker was at that game and he said it was mayhem in that because they scored down in the Irish corner and he said like you just started off celebrating and all of a sudden you're about 10 rows down in the, in the stand like it was incredible and it's one of those weird things that when you look up when you think about it, I was like, the two things that struck me was, one, how many goals recently, and obviously that's down to just us and our own experience and memory or whatever that happened in recent years, but also how many game, many mad goals Ireland were involved in. Because you have John O'Shea against Germany. You have Robbie Keane against Germany in 2002. I going to say, you have yeah. Robbie Keane against Spain in 2002 with the penalty as well. Was that There's, an injury time? That was injury. That, yeah. that was virtually last kick of the game, yeah? Jesus, that's... Like, it, I remember the Germany one in particular in 2002 was, I was... On holidays in Spain, and I'd never seen, I'd never watched a game, I think, really live in a pub before, and I was in an Irish bar, and it was mayhem. Leave insert paper too, English. Oh, dear. Uh, no. I, yeah, I remember I was taken home, and I was like, I mean, my outfit was just like... Do you think, do you think they, like... You're not leaving to watch this. <laughs> I watch, and I remember because we were getting our house done up, and we had to watch it. And like, so usually, like I tell you, would be in the back room, but we had yeah. a front room that was getting like done up, and it was in this like, it's like those like late nineties tellies that were like they were cool because they were really small, but like you couldn't bleed. You couldn't see anything. Yeah. So Sorry. like, I don't know how he contorted his body or how it looked. It looked like two <laughs> pixels. Brilliant. For the Spain one, I was too nervous uh, after the after missing the after Ian Hart missing the first goal that I uh, had to watch it from I'd watch Keane's penalty from under the kitchen table. Yeah, I don't know why that gave me any um, sort of Jesus. joy or whatever. Like, oh, this leaves my this leaves my anxiety here if I get under the kitchen table and watch it from there. We were uh, there was a funeral in our family that day, and obviously the match was on at like twelve o'clock or whatever. So we went out, and it was like you know half the town down in Clare but also like half of the pub was our massive family and there was a kind of a thing of like we're going to this nobody have any you know let's you know drink orange and <laughs> so we're down in the pub and obviously that game got a little bit mad Hart missed the penalty whatever when this and Kilban skied the rebound when the second penalty was ever I just remember the, the, the infamous line of my cousin from fuck it I'm getting a point <laughs> <laughs> And it was all broken then from that moment on. Uh, but the Germany goal, I think if we're going to bring it back to like, is this a debate or what was the best or whatever? I think it has a lot of criteria that qualifies it for the great one, which was the normality of the occasion, World Cup, can't get too much bigger than that. The the kind of the desperation of the whole thing, a kind of a long ball in, it was your last chance of it. A brilliant finish, like a really, really good goal. And of course, then the entire kind of like, team and squad running into the corner all jumping on top of each other I think that's a huge part of it's, any last yeah, minute goal of, right? it's yeah. one of those Mick like, McCarthy's face as well on the slow motion replay yeah, the, the, the jaw dropping yeah and the kind of the, the hop skip and the jump he takes <laughs> as he realised yeah, yeah it, there's everything about that goal as well that like you, you see the crowd like you just see like that sea of green behind Keane and it's one of those like when he's doing the you know the cartwheel, the, the cartwheel and then the guns like it's one of those whereby it's the best one he's ever done. Like there was no way he could have he could have done it better. The technique was perfect. Like yeah. everything about it. And he runs in, and as the guns are coming, all the players are swarming as well. It's like everything about that goal is yeah. perfect. And also, even though the Spain one was obviously a bigger occasion, given it was the last sixteen and it forced extra time. I think a goal in the last minute from a set piece, or not maybe 
necessarily a free kick point because you don't have to set it but like from a penalty basically no you're right yeah, I think I think that takes away setting from it, it up. yeah, yeah. Just, it kind of because yeah. it's setting you up for the drama it's not out of nowhere like the keen no, goal you, against you're, Germany it was. can be worse in some ways because you're not able to breed for a minute and a half yeah. you have but, to get under the table yeah you have to get under the <laughs> table but it does the out of nowhere thing just explodes you actually though, I would say the, the one that's on the list that we don't have to go into a lot but that might even be underrated overrated in England and probably underrated everywhere else that is a, a, a set piece. <laughs> this is, I, can guarantee, I know exactly what you're going to say because that's what made me correct myself and go penalties specifically. David Beckham against David Greece. David Beckham against Greece. And there was so much about that that it was it was the goal itself that qualified him for the World Cup, loads of that. But it also was like, it was his crowning performance in an England jersey yeah. that I still think would stand up. I thought he he won that game on his own, yeah. including the previ- the equaliser and everything like that. But it was like for him to just do what he does best then at the last second. It was That was unbelievable. And that was a redemption arc as well, even feeding yeah. into it. It's like he had to work so hard to get back to a level whereby, like even when he got the captain's armband and people were like, what are you giving it to him for? Do you not remember? He lost at the World Cup, all this as soon as that goal goes in and he does that celebration again another celebration as well it goes it's at Old Trafford as well you yeah. know which makes it even better for him and just everything about it the all white kit the shaved head oh, it's, it's like, very memorable yeah exactly everything about it also yeah they, like they were losing 2-1 at home to Greece and they, they yeah. needed that they yeah. needed that and that, oh that's it it was to draw two all actually yeah, wasn't it to qualify them win, yeah, yeah yeah sorry it, but like, he was fantastic all that game. I remember it was just, I always used to say, oh, Roy Keane, the reason he's world class is because if something's going rad, he'll grab the game by the scruff of the neck and do it. And Beckham did it that match. And just for it to be, it was very fairy tale to then score in the 94th minute with the last yeah. kick of the game to top all that off. Like Forward it goes again by Kinsler. Quinn heads on. Oh, surely this time for Keane. And Ireland do it. Robbie Keane. Two and a half minutes of stoppage time. England trail by two goals to one. Beckham could raise the roof here with a goal. I don't believe it. David Beckham scores the goal to take England all the way to the World Cup finals. Give that man a knighthood. You know what you were saying about that goal, the Ro- Ro- Robbie's goal there, about the celebration and stuff like that. I think that's such a, you know, again, what defines it. Like, it's sometimes it's the goal scorer. And that the fact that he was so cool to score the biggest goal nearly in Irish football history at that exact moment and still to have the wherewithal to go and do his pre-planned celebration, I think is mad. I think that just says so much about the fact that this guy was just absolutely cool under pressure and that's why he was able to score. Do you remember nobody could beat Can in that World Cup either? Like yeah. He was just this, like I know this is the first game, second game, but Can was this unstoppable force that you couldn't hit a ball past, and we just had to. We still still got a touch on it. Yeah, you got a touch, and then it hits <laughs> off the post. It goes around, and also like just even remember everything about that. The nets were huge, and it made everything <laughs> like it just it just kind of the ball just falls into it, lovely, and it just oh, everything about it. So was what, Robbie Keane obviously scored plenty of goals for Spurs. I can't remember any real mad dramatic one he got in the last minute but Tottenham feature heavily on my list of favourite last minute mm-hmm. goals so there's a couple here I've got um, the 2008 four all draw North London derby between Arsenal and Spurs Arsenal went 4-2 up with a Van Persie goal in the 68 minute thought that's it wrapped up 
89th minute, Jermaine Jennings gets a goal. In injury time, Luka Modric hits an outrageous shot, comes back off the crossbar, Alan, or Aaron Lennon buries it to make it 4-all. Incredible drama. But then, all you have to do is look over the last 12 months at Spurs in the Champions League. And this is one of those things when Poch- now Pochettino's long gone, they'll look back on this that season and they'll go, wow, what an incredible experience. Because they were at front and centre of the madness of the Champions League, the madness of VAR, the madness of everything. The First of all, I think my favourite actually might be the non-goal Raheem Sterling goal against Man City which we'll talk about in a minute but without a doubt the most dramatic obviously is Lucas Moura rounding off that comeback against Ajax in the Champions League semi-final comes to Deli Alley through to Lucas Moura Lucas Moura has fired Spurs through to Madrid to the Champions League final Lads, I turned that game off at halftime. <laughs> you always do this. I turned it off because I said, there's no way they're scoring, uh, they're coming back into this. That game's over and I don't know what we ended up watching. And I came back. Uh, and at I least you back, were watching something. I came back in the aftermath of the Mora, like as in the celebration was still going on. But it, watching it back, oh my God. I was up uh, putting out the washing upstairs and then, but in fairness, my wife goes, Spurs are coming back here. So we got the, got the last two goals live. But the thing about like, the more ago was they had made their comeback relatively early like I say relatively early it wasn't like it wasn't an hour to go but there was like 10-15 minutes or whatever and then they just needed the one more and it was like the momentum had stopped you know it was like they had I, I could be getting the numbers wrong here obviously you go you go by memory on these things but it felt like the chance was gone and then all I actually all I actually stem the tie stem the tie and now time is up so they just hoof one ball in. Nobody ever scores from that. Nobody ever scores from, this is the last chance, you know, and they hit a free kick from the halfway line or whatever it is, you know. And that's, I think that just sums up the beauty of a famous and legendary last minute goal is when you really do think the chance is gone. Like, Yeah, like it's 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 what I remember as well. It's just like, you know, when the defending team just kind of, collapse yeah like the ball goes in like it goes like Onana just can't get there and then he just just goes down on his on his his face and he's like I can't believe it it's like how I don't particularly remember United celebrating 99 I don't remember anyone was only like two but uh, I don't remember them celebrating like I can't remember any of the pictures from like Solskjaer scoring or whatever I just remember like Sammy Kufor like wanting to basically bait the ground into submission yeah. like he just kept on hit like he felt like he was punching the ground continuously yeah. like just because we had that and it's yeah. gone now like and Ajax had that game yeah like if the lick if the lick either steps back he deals with that ball easy or oh, it's just it's everything like in a split second a ball gets flicked on more like there's a bit of dallying and then it's in the yeah. back of the net like they were in the Champions League final. And it was an amazing thing for Spurs, for Mora. Jumper he was watching the video of people reacting back in Brazil and all this. But I was the same as you. All I could think of was sometimes the goal is about the conceding team. Sometimes the last minute goal is more about the conceding team. And it's like, I actually, it was over. You'd done it. All you had to do was get your head on one more ball and it's over. The match is over. There's no, no more time left. And it's like, oh my God, I can't believe we did this. I can't believe we left that door open. Ireland didn't qualify for Euro 2000. People always forget this. Like We didn't qualify for Euro 2000. No playoffs, no nothing, because we didn't concede one corner against Macedonia. There was 12 seconds to go in the was game. Was that Croatia? 
Christ. No, it was Macedonia. Macedonia. Yeah, it was one all. We were winning one nil. Oh, we conceded a few last minute goals. We did in that, in that tournament. Well, yeah. yeah, Yugoslavia scored in the last second against us. Uh, Croatia scored in the last second against us. Both over, both away from home. And then this one was the actually the game. It was up. Yeah, like the, the, I think there was a last last second one against Croatia. Yeah, um, that killed us early in the campaign. And then this one was like literally a corner, absolute chaotic defended. And you're just thinking to yourself, three lads had the chance on, in that corner to get something on the ball and if they got something on the ball we were in the Euros and then we didn't qualify and it was kind of we went into the playoffs knowing we weren't going to beat yeah. Turkey because it was over you know what I mean they had their chance the chance was gone yeah, yeah. it's uh, awful with the sports game just a few weeks earlier there was obviously the Man City madness and I think I think I, like, there was so much love of that just the situation I was in there was a few lads over watching the game I missed about the first six goals of the match because every time I went out to try and make my dinner <laughs> somebody get a goal yeah, we were watching the end of it uh, Laurenti obviously gets uh, the goal to, that looks like going to send Spurs through Sterling gets the goal at the end and it was without a doubt the greatest moment of the history of VAR because the cameraman and the director noticed what was happening before everybody else in the world before anybody in the stadium before any of the commentary team we're all screaming at the drama and then the camera just cuts to the screen in the stadium which just says VAR no goal offside and to everybody's like, no, everyone's still celebrating it's still just madness everywhere and then all of a sudden it's like Jesus wait a minute we're all kidding what no offside huh then the commentators are like is this I think it's been really loud and then oh it so, was just such drama. I know it's yeah. not a last minute goal. I prefer. I would have preferred Spurs to win that game than City. I would have been. I would have been devastated. If it went in. I felt that we were denied. Now, fair enough. Would the linesman have called it if he got it wrong? Like it, it was offside. But I think they would have given that goal. I don't think they spotted the offside. Yeah. And I felt that we were denied a dramatic. La- I, what we're talking about in this entire conversation. Yeah, I think. I, I like it's. It's another vein, and it's going to happen an awful lot more now. Yeah. Where there's just going to be unbridled joy yeah. brought right back down to yeah. earth because of that now it's still dramatic and it's it's still brilliant to watch because yeah. you know I yeah. do take great pleasure in other people's misfortune but like especially Man City fans <laughs> <laughs> but it was just one of those things where like oh, ima- imagine like imagine your team like to get to the semi-finals of a Champions League like, and then you've got Ajax and like everybody knows how good Ajax are but you know this is a chance get to the f- yeah. your first Champions League final and that just goes in an instant. Yeah, here, like they're all on top of each other, like like the Irish lads. Exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Met all the criteria. They're all lying on top of each other in the corner. Our next thing is brought back. Now I'm wondering if what we need to get back in a VAR world to rescue in those last minute goal situations, if they are denied, is if the opposing team who has the goal disallowed needs to start celebrating like they've just scored a last minute winner so all the Spurs players when that happened run to the other corner yeah, they and jump on top of each other because <laughs> <laughs> it happens in the stand anyway like that that was like the great thing about it was because like that sort of steep stand that the away fans are on in the in the Etihad and it's just like there's chaos going on around them and they like because in those situations you're just kind of you're, you're stuck and you're like oh I don't know what to do here I'm very very sad yeah. and then it changes in one second you're like what am I going to do like you're just jumping <laughs> you know what you're going to do uh, before we move off the topic of Champions League dramatic comebacks and last minute goals two more worth a mention Sergio Roberto against PSG for Barcelona and Fernando Torres for Chelsea against Barcelona Grandstand finish to this game away off the uh, head of Adrian Rabio. Intense pressure now on the Paris Saint-Germain defence. It's Neymar trying to feed it through. It's a stretch and it's in. And I can't remember the last time I saw 
I mentioned turning off the Tottenham game. Mick, I remember you tweeting out <laughs> that you watched, after the Barca PSG game, you tweeted out that you had watched a nil-all draw between Man City and Stoke <laughs> in the Premier League instead. <laughs> I mean... Why was, it on, why was it on the same night as the oh, Champions League? The, the absolute... Oh, like the team that I remember the most is the composure for Neymar to look like he's going to shoot, come back onto his left and just dink that ball. Oh, it was, it was, it was incredible. I... I can distinctly remember that and it's one of the only times like I was in set out meet up on my way for a pint in the village inn in Crumlin first time I ever drank in that pub was in the was in the was in the bar just sat at the bar watching this behind behind the the barman and I came in at half time and everybody's just enraptured like yeah there's like 15 people just surrounded this one telly it's like brilliant and then when Roberto scored my mate just turns to me deadpan and goes, "We're out," and was like, "Oh, we're we're out, yeah. Like I'm, I'm we're out. Like we're out, out now. Like I'm, I'm not coming home till f- six, like <laughs> Friday, because Barcelona beat Paris Saint Germain, yeah, exactly. Like, you know. <laughs> like a Tuesday or Wednesday. Who's was just like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like one of my friends didn't go to college one day and I asked him, you didn't go to college today? No, no, it's Bobby Robson's funeral. <laughs> <laughs> one of the, the forgotten thing about that match is, and as I said, like, you know, it, it's literally my wife's favourite thing to remind me of. Like, it was when I literally, she was sitting beside me and we went, well, Barcelona aren't going to score three goals in five minutes or whatever. And we turned over to the other match and literally was just figuring channels. And I just went to see what Dunphy would be saying. You know, that's what it was. And I, I kind of, I still couldn't figure it out, but I realised that the Barcelona players, they were, you know, they were doing the studio voice, but the pictures were yeah. on, on the pitch. And it was like, it was like, I thought they were saying, geez, are they saying well done because they won 4-1 or whatever. And I was like, hold on. I'm like, it took about 30 seconds for me to believe my own eyes to see that they'd actually won this game. So then you're trying to catch up on what happened or whatever. But the, what people do forget is that they won that game 6-1. Yep. You know what I mean? It's not like it's not like it was just the last minute goal. It was like they'd been beaten five one in the first leg, <laughs> and they won the second leg six one. That's bananas! Like that's more like the Spurs Ajax thing has a bit of that about it, you yeah. know. The, and definitely the City Spurs thing did. But like this is just insane. What was going on? It was absolutely outrageous. And obviously, the, I think the goal that will be remind that when we look back at history kick-started all this entire era of dramatic Champions League goals. Fernando Torres. <laughs> See, like, that's, that, that's one of those things, like, and, and the commentary, and commentary is a very important part of it, obviously. Like, yeah, we're huge. listening back, and, you, like, you know immediately, without seeing it, you know exactly what goal it is, because Gary Neville, like, w- still can't recall exactly what he was at. Like, but, like, that's a, that, that was a sealer. That was, Chelsea were through. Mm. Like and then the realization of like, Ashley Cole's just chipped it forward. Fernando Torres is in a world of space. Yeah. yeah, 
and then your mouth stops working and you're like is this the first goal that we've talked about that isn't that wasn't a winner or a clincher of some kind like yeah. you know that it was yeah. it was a clincher it was it was a clincher it but it, it didn't change the outcome no yeah. the, the Ramirez with the Ramirez the brilliant Ramirez goal in the first half uh, actually got Chelsea through but, <laughs> Ramirez, Ramirez. Yeah. Uh, but that Torres goal it's like that's a, that's a that's a niche of like the clincher like everything every like you're just you're so you relax then yeah and it's it's like it was also that there was just drama building up because Barca were trying to wave after wave yeah. yeah it was just that and then obviously Barca had the wasn't it Barca with uh, the Iniesta scoring injury time against Chelsea back Chelsea in 2009 yeah, yeah. in in injury time uh, and obviously all the drama that went on yeah. in injury time even after that goal scored like with you know Drogba calling oh, yeah. it for disgrace <laughs> like that was almost like a Chelsea had got a bit of a got a bit Just of redemption for yeah, it yeah I didn't have that one on my list there's so many goals yeah. to get through we're running out of time well yeah. I was going to actually say really really quickly because I think we've all got a, a list of a few random ones that I'd actually like to talk about but ones that like we should not mention really quickly is uh, Sean kind of alluded to it Sharing a man share both of those goals. That that could be number one on the list, That's, to be honest. Like, do you know what I mean? It's, just been, it's been talked about yeah. a million times. But that was just bananas, right? There's Michael Thomas scoring for uh, yeah. for Arsenal. The, it's up for grabs. It's here. another. It's another great roly poly after you score, <laughs> <laughs> and you just don't know what to do, and you're like, ah, just fall. Like, there's literally been. Uh, a book written about this, a film made on the book, a, an adaptation of the film about to make about a different sport, so on and so forth. But it all, like, nothing, nothing lived up to the drama of what actually happened, which was you go on a Tuesday night right, because everything's delayed because of Hillsborough, um, like, which is terrible. I don't mean this in a, in, a, in a glib way. But like, you know, everything was delayed. So you have the two top teams in the league meeting each other on the last day of the season, but on a Tuesday night after the season should have been over. And... They one the one team has to go away from home and win two 0 exactly. Yeah, and then they win two 0 exactly with a goal in the last second. It was outrageous. And then obviously, that was dramatic to win a Premier League title. Yeah, exactly. That was but, the third one I have on this list of uh, things we have to talk about. <laughs> Sergio Aguero, which was undoubtedly as Maradona said, you will never see the likes of this again. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli. Any goals we've missed, lads, that we want to mention? Obviously, there's goals that matter to different people, and please do get in touch. Send us an email at thegaffer@boz.e or get in touch on social media at bozdotie on uh, with any of your favourite goals. Obviously, if you're a certain fan, yeah. they're going to mean a bit more to you. And Mick, I can already see you itching there because I know you're going to have an Aston Villa related. No, goal but I, do, I think that's important though because like we're talking like I mean what have we talked most yeah. about here were the Ireland ones, yeah. you know, and but they're not the biggest. But for me, like the first thing that came into my head when we talked about this this morning was an Everton Aston Villa game from like 2008 where Everton and I just watched it there a while ago Jolie and Lescott scored an overhead kick in the box to equalise for Everton at Goodison Park in the in 
But at 93-29, Ashley Young absolutely made shit of Lescott at the other end of the field, kicked the ball by him and just breezed by him and hit it past Tim Howard. And I just remember, I just never lost my shit like I lost it in that moment. You know what we're talking about here, like what defines it? Like it was like the game was over. I was kind of fed up that we hadn't won a game that we're leading for the whole time. And they literally just go up the other end, score this goal at 100 miles an hour. And it's all happened before you know what's happened. And I think that was, just for me, that's one that kind of, sums up a lot of the emotions that you feel when it's your team that it does yeah. it you know Mark Faduk I missed out um, on one but Leeds won so I'm going to give this a mention anyway, even though it doesn't fall strictly into our criteria because it happened in the 88th minute rather than the 90th minute Mark Faduka scoring to beat uh, Arsenal 3-2 which meant that Leeds oh, United yeah. stayed up and Man United won the Premier League yeah Jesus yeah, yeah. In uh, the blue, really kind of yeah. cheap looking blue, blue and, and jersey blue and yellow. Yeah. On it, yeah. oh, a look, that's 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 a garish jersey that I can appreciate. Uh, my one is Christy Fagan's second goal against Derry 2014 FAI Cup final. It's a weird one because obviously I was there. I was going to say the 2019 FAI Cup final as well. How do we forget about it? Go on, back to Christy Fagan. <laughs> that's very true. Uh, but the weird thing about that one is that I was there and obviously like that's you know, 53 years without winning an FAI Cup, everything kind of, you lose yourself yeah. in the moment and you're like, we're talking rows, like the the netting at the front of the, uh, one of the stands in the Aviva, I was just through it. Like every, I was through it. About 10 rows, I was through it all, broke it all. Like I just broke it all, <laughs> falling. Uh, but the weird thing about it, obviously, and then that, that like feeling of relief more so than anything else and just kind of bawling my eyes out for a good half an hour after was like, the, I'd love to see that. Yeah, oh man, it was it was brilliant. But uh, it's like the commentary of that goal. Like I didn't hear it at the time because I like I was at the match. It's only afterwards the like the like watching it back on RTE and then hearing George Hamilton talk about like and it's the cops goal a goal scorer in 2014 in Ireland, Christy Fagan with a goal, and then he says, "And Brian Kerr is in tears," and then it's Brian Kerr, this man, like just lets it all out. He's like. Like, you can hear it in his voice. He's like, oh, well, if you score two goals in the cup final, you have to get mad at the match. And he's like, just trying to collect his thoughts, but he's just, he's the exact same as everybody in the stand. Like, yeah. brilliant bit of commentary. Magic. Oh, and a missed kick here. And maybe a chance for a second. And it is, it's all over. Pats have won the cup. Christy Fagan does it again. An irony of ironies. It's a mistake by Derry City that lets just as two years ago Pats gifted a goal to Derry now Derry City have gifted the goal that decides it all to St. Patrick's Athletic it's Irish football's most prolific scorer in 2014 who claims it and Brian Kerr is in tears well can I change my mind <laughs> well if you get two in the final you should get it should you but look you know mistake by Barry Malloy very unfortunate Christy pounces Big open goal from Jared Darty out too far one to get the punt up the pitch and he rolls it in to the empty net. There's been a few rolled into the Pats empty net. Remember the Longford one 2003. Barrett, but what a day for Liam Buckley. 
great joy, great joy for the Pats people. I don't think even the Derry City fans will deny the Pats crowd today. There's a happy Christy. I have to say, I'm a bit happy myself, George. Stephen Gerrard could have his own segment on this show for last minute goals. The two that stand out, obviously, the most is uh, Olympiacos and Champions League. And the greatest, greatest moments. Yep. Yeah. And uh, him scoring against West Ham in the most entertaining FA Cup final yeah. I can remember in living memory. Oh, six. It reminds me of I two. can remember in living memory. I don't know. It's been a long show. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a long show. So I've, I have to get through some of these just because, again, people will be thinking about it. We want to hear theirs as well, though. Last season, uh, Divock Origi scoring in the last second of the Merseyside Derby, where, where Jordan Pickford let the ball hit the crossbar. Oh, like the last minute of last minute goals to win a derby. And when Liverpool still thought they were going to win the league, Klopp going absolutely mad running onto the pitch and then apologising for it. <laughs> Another Liverpool one was Michael Owen. Again, sometimes when you come from behind late on and score two goals yeah. and win a game like United, it, you know, Michael Owen uh, scoring in the last second against Arsenal in the 2001 Cup final was kind of amazing. Uh, John Mackin does anyone remember City oh, 4 yeah. uh, Spurs 3 that was on in the office about like a week ago I want to say and then as soon as you see it like you see uh, White Hart Lane under the lights and you just see the two teams you're like 4-3 four, three four, three. in the cup jo- John Mackin last minute the, it, it actually you know talking about criteria again earlier on like that has a lot of them because one of the things that I think really helps is a comeback so Spurs are winning three 0 You know, it's just uh, Sergio Roberto. All that fills into it. Uh, Mora, you're losing three 0 at half time, and then the whole second half is about the comeback, the comeback, the comeback, and it's this momentum that you don't have any more time for. You've got one second left, and they get it at the last second. You know, like Joey Barton got sent off at half time in that match as well. People <laughs> just forget about that. He just didn't come out. <laughs> so, so they were three 0 down, and then just down to ten men in an instant. Uh, you got any more, just, just two more quickly. Um, Naeem, uh, former Spurs player, scoring basically from the halfway line and the sideline in the UEFA Cup final against Arsenal in 1995 for Real Zaragoza and uh, Chip and David Seaman, who just looked like an Egypt running back to try and get it. It's just that's kind of mad. That was a European final. <laughs> he scored like just a shot on the volley from the sideline. It was insane into the top corner uh, to, to cost uh, Arsenal the UEFA Cup. And then last one, just to go back to international. Just for Ronnie Whelan alone, when Belgium scored against Japan in the 2018 <laughs> World Cup, because he was given out to them for crossing the corner, it was like it was a draw. They were trying to win the match the same as Belgium. Ronnie, what are you talking about? But in fairness to Belgium, that was that that's as good as it gets. You're yeah. defending, and you literally got out the other end and scored a winner as time runs out. That was swashbuckling. Uh, uh, we really have to get out of here, but uh, thank you everybody for listening. And please do get in touch with your memories of your favourite last minute goals. If you've not subscribed to the podcast please make sure and do search Buzz.ie podcast and all good podcast apps uh, Sean I'm going to give you one more shout out you can play us out on the commentary of it one of your favourite ever last minute goals quarter final of the 1998 World Cup you were one you remember it well I t- you know it ball chipped over the top brilliant ball by De Boer um, I tell you what I'll let, I'll let the Dutch commentary team play us out met the ball besit for Frank De Boer Frank de Boer speelt de bal. Heel goed naar Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp neemt de bal aan. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Frank de Boer speelt de bal naar Dennis Bergkamp. Die neemt de bal feilloos aan. En ik schiet de bal erin. We spelen nog officieel 20 seconden. Dennis